Amen. It is that truth that we remember and celebrate today. And Lord, you who are the living, who are the eternal word, we ask now that you would come and speak to us your particular word for this day. Lord God, we come with open hearts. Can we just open our hands? We open our hands, Lord Jesus, before you today. Lord, as a posture of surrender to say yes to your word as you bring it to us today. We just welcome you, our Savior, our King, our Lord. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. Well, praise the Lord. Isn't God good? Aren't you glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Amen. It's a good day to be together with God's people in God's house to celebrate and rejoice. Well, this morning we are completing a Lenten series that we have uh, been on for the last eight weeks. We're doing a, we've been doing a series on growing maturity, growing maturity, which happens to also be the theme for this entire year of 2014. We believe, as you can see from the pictures that we have, that God wants to put our roots down deeper wants to grow our trunks more sturdy. He wants to extend our branches further. He wants to uh, have a great abundance of leaves and ripening fruit upon our lives. As it says in Colossians 2, 6, 7, and this is the words of the Apostle Paul encouraging the churches in the Colossae area, it says, So then, just as you received Jesus Christ as Lord... Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. In fact, I'd like us to read that scripture together, if we could, and let the word of God begin to penetrate your heart right now. Sometimes, even as we just say the words aloud, it somehow finds its way deeper into our hearts. This is the encouragement that Paul would give us this morning in light of the resurrection today. So let's say it together. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. You see, God wants us to grow up. I've said it before and I can say it again. You're only young once, but it is possible to remain immature forever. But you don't have to. There is opportunity for you to grow in maturity. Now, what does maturity look like? How might we define maturity? Well, during this study over the last eight weeks, we have been working with this particular definition of maturity. Maturity is loving God, loving people, and loving ourselves freely and fully. Loving God, loving people, and loving ourselves freely and fully. Now, just... Take a moment to imagine that reality. What would that look like if you experienced that kind of maturity in your life? Where you could love God with nothing to hide, nothing to fear, nothing to lose, nothing to prove. If you could love people that way, as it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind. If you could love your neighbor as yourself if you could receive the love of God fully and allow that to flow through you, can you imagine the transformation that might happen in your life? Well, God can imagine that transformation, and that's in fact what he is seeking to do in each and every one of our lives because the Bible says that God is in the process in desiring for each of us to transform us, to conform us, to the very likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. He wants to change and transform our lives. With unveiled faces, we become more and more like 
him in our lives. Of course, we do not receive, uh, we do not achieve that level of perfection. We do not come to the level of Christ, but we come up towards that level of maturity where he has taken and redeemed and transformed us. Now, this call to maturity that we've been walking through these last several weeks has taken us on a journey through many different dimensions of maturity. We've looked at spiritual maturity. We've looked at stewardship maturity. We've looked at vocational maturity. We've looked at emotional maturity. We've looked at mental maturity. We've looked at relational maturity. And I want to encourage you, if any of those areas strike a chord in you and perhaps you weren't here or perhaps you were and you'd like to go deeper into that i would encourage you we've got booklets available in the back um, that are connected to this whole call there are cds and powerpoints available for you and you can always go to the website at bethel and download messages and i would encourage you they have been powerful powerful messages throughout this series that will help you and help us as a congregation continue to grow up now this morning we're going to kind of pull all of this together and take one more step because as important as it is for all of these areas in our lives to grow to that place of full and free loving of God and people and ourselves as much as that is important for our own internal growth and transformation to happen. The end of the story doesn't stop there because God not only wants to grow us up into maturity, he actually wants to make us fruitful and so that we might actually begin to multiply maturity into the lives of those around us. Because let me tell you a little secret that you might know but you sometimes forget couple of things that I want to tell you. First of all, it's not all about you. It's not all about you. In fact, it doesn't, the story doesn't begin and end with you. The story is something that continues on and the Lord wants to multiply maturity through you. I've said this before, I'll say this again. My greatest desire in my life is for my children not just to run behind me. I want them to run in front of me and go farther than I have gone. And now as a grandparent, have I mentioned Fiona yet? Um, And Fiona's sister to come in July. I want my grandchildren to run even further than my children. Because it is my deep, deep desire that the generations that come after us go deeper and further than we do. That's what I love about Pastor Ben and all of the leaders here at Bethel. I love the elders and uh, our ministry coordinators. There's a deep desire in this house, and you see it reflected here. I mean, this isn't just the church of the future. This is the church of now, and we want the church of now to go further than we have gone. Yes? Amen? John 15 says, I have appointed you, I've chosen you and appointed you to bear fruit. But not just to bear fruit, he wants you to bear more fruit. But not just more fruit, he wants you to bear much fruit. But not only much fruit, he says in John 15, I want you to bear fruit that will remain. Say fruit that will remain. Amen. So, multiplying maturity. Now let me tell you something else. It's not only about, it's not only, not all about you. It's about those who come after you. It's about those that come after you. It's about the legacy you leave. At the end of of your life, what is the legacy that you leave? All of us are going to die. We're going to die physically, I mean, here on earth. We're going to die. But what's going to happen after we die? What are we leaving behind as the legacy of our lives? And what I would like to invite you to think about today is how could I leave a legacy that actually multiplies maturity in the lives of those around me? 
How can I multiply maturity in my lives of my children or the students that I work with when I'm here in Sunday school? Or how can I work with and multiply maturity into those that I work with in my workplace, in my school, in my neighborhood? How can I multiply maturity around me? Some of you know Borgie Thompson. She was a dear friend of ours, a, an adopted grandma to our family who died at the age of 87 about three, four years ago, right up until literally three months before she died. She was still working with Big House. She would tutor a 10-year-old girl every Monday night for several hours. She was ministering widely in the, uh, in, in, in the senior living place where she was at. She was continuing to multiply maturity to the very end. That's how I want to live. That's how I want to go. Now here's one more piece. There is a adversary that wants to snatch away that seed in your life. As it says in John 10.10, 10, the thief, speaking of the enemy, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, this is Jesus speaking, but I have come that you may have life and life to the full. How many of you would like to have full life? A full life. I want to have a full life. I want to have life to the full. And that's what Jesus has come to bring. So this morning, as we talk about multipl multiplying maturity, I want to take us to a familiar story. We're going to walk through this fairly quickly this morning, but I want you to, to, to grab hold of this story in the life of Simon Peter. On the day before Jesus died, Jesus was with his disciples. And he was talking to them and sharing with them about what was going to be happening to him. They didn't really get it. They didn't understand all of what was going on. But in the midst of conversation with them, Jesus said these words to Peter. And I want you to listen afresh to them because they're going to form the context for our story today. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. So he's talking to all of the disciples, but he's specifically speaking here directly to Simon. And he says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. Now, I know Andrew referenced Peter, Simon Peter, earlier in this series of messages, but we're going to come back to Simon Peter this morning, and we're going to look at some particular events in his life. So if you've got your Bible, or if you want to tuck into the one in front of you, I would encourage you to grab hold of that. These scriptures that I'm going to share will not be up on the screen. You can also just listen carefully as we go through them. I want to begin with the call of Simon Peter as it is recorded for us in Luke chapter 5, the first 11 verses. One day, as Jesus was standing at the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. How many of you know that Jesus is still calling men and women? 
that he's calling you today. His first invitation that he gives is come to me. Come to me. This is the call of salvation. And today, hear the voice of the Lord calling to you saying, come to me, I will be your savior. You are a sinful, as Peter said, Lord, I'm a sinful man. We are all sinful men and women. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But by the grace of Jesus Christ, he went to that cross and paid the penalty for your and my sins that we might be saved from the power of sin and death now and forever. And he says, come to me. And if you've never come to him, you can come to him today. You simply ask him and say, Jesus, I need you. I confess I'm a savior. Confession is saying the same thing as what we'd learned about that earlier. Confession is just saying the same thing that God says about something. I'm a sinner. Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. Please forgive me. Come live inside of me and take over my life. Because I want you forever. And to be with you forever. But he doesn't just stop with come to me. He says come after me. I want to grow you up. This is this whole piece of discipleship and growing and maturity. Come after me. We don't stop at the beginning. When a child is born, it would be a very sad thing if it never were to grow. But we are called to grow up. To follow after him. To come after me. And then he says, and we'll get to this at the end of the story. He says come with me. And it's the call of intimacy. It's the call into deep fellowship with him being conformed to him this is the call secondly we have his confession this is powerful matthew chapter 16 go with me there matthew chapter 16 matthew chapter 16 the crowds have been listening to jesus they've been coming up with ideas about who he might be they're very confused they don't know exactly who he is the crowds following around And so when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? This is one of the most important questions that you can ever answer. Who do you say that I am? Is Jesus just a really nice guy? Is he just a wise teacher? Is he only a prophet? Who is Jesus anyway? Well, he goes on and Peter says, You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's who you are. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this wasn't revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I'm going to build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he warned his disciples not to tell anyone he was the Christ. He wasn't ready to give the full revelation of who he was. And from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him and said words that probably should never go together in the same sentence. Never, Lord. That's an oxymoron. Never, Lord. Yes, Lord. (laughs) Not never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. And you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. So here Peter goes from this incredible confession to this incredible misperception. Does that sound like anybody else in the room? Anybody, any, any, of, the, any of the others of you have that challenge like I do? All right. Now his claim. Look at Matthew 26. Now we're coming up to Jesus' final. He has come to Jerusalem. Jesus is fulfilling the very thing that he said he would fulfill. He's going to Jerusalem. He knows that he's going to die. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 31, Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And now here's Peter's reply. Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. 
Don't you wish sometimes you could just go back in your life? Do you, wish, do you ever wish you had a rewind button on things that have come out of your mouth? Like lots of the time? You wish you had a rewind button? Even if, do you think Peter would like the rewind button on this? Even if all fall away. He's probably looking at all the other guys, the disciples around, like, like those guys. I will never fall away. I never will. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. This very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter can't let it go. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples shook their heads and said, us too. And when the going got rough, they got going, didn't they? <laughs> there were the women. God bless the women. All right. Then we come to Luke 22, where what Jesus has said going to happen was fulfilled Luke 22 beginning in verse 54 then seizing him this is seizing Jesus they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest Peter followed at a distance but when they had kindled a fire don't miss these little things because I'm going to come back to them when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with him. And there was a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight, and she looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I'm not. Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And look at this. The Lord turns and looks straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the words the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Now, if that were the end of the story, we'd all be in trouble, right? We'd all be toast. Because you and I have said and done things, consciously and unconsciously, that have disowned our Savior. We've turned away. We've said, I don't know what you're talking about. But there's the rest of the story. It doesn't end there. Turn to John 20 now. We already had the children share this story with us so beautifully. On the, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Probably would have outrun me too. Jeez, I would have probably had to have the iron lung by that point trying to get to the... Get to the tomb, but he's running. He's running. And he bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. John didn't go in. But look at verse 6. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside, and he saw and believed. They still didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. 
They still didn't quite get it, but they're starting to get it. There's something beginning to happen. And the story goes on. And we saw the story of Mary Magdalene coming and Jesus and Mary Magdalene having this conversation and then the locked doors and Jesus coming in through the locked doors and speaking peace over them and eating together with them and them rejoicing and then Thomas who wasn't there and all of that. But now we get to the final rest of the story in John 21. I am so grateful to God that the gospel of John doesn't end at the end of John 20 because it sounds like it does. Verse 30 and 31 of John 20 says, Jesus did many miraculous, other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And just in case you're still struggling with believing, John 21 and the restoration of Peter. And this is the word to your heart this morning. This is what the Lord wants to speak to us about multiplying maturity. So come with me carefully and quickly now into John 21. After Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, it happened this way. Listen carefully. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, well, we'll go with you. Now, I don't know what was going on in their heads. I'm sure they were still so disoriented and discombobulated. I mean, they'd seen Jesus, but still their minds couldn't quite wrap themselves around. And they didn't know whether they could go for it. Have you ever been at a place where God's got you, where you feel stuck? You can't go forward, but you know you can't go back. You ever been there? Where you're just kind of stuck and you don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I have faith to keep moving forward, but I know I'm ruined to go back. But God, here I am and I don't know what to do. I'm stuck. Jesus wants to unstick you today. He wants to unstick you today. See, the disciples, they didn't know whether they were going on with this. Remember Luke 5? They left their nets and followed him, and now here they are. They're back at the fishing hole. We're not so sure about what the rest of this story looks like, Jesus, so just in case, we're going back to our nets. We're going to go back to what's comfortable, what's familiar, what we know, but even so, God, we don't know. Early in the morning. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night... They caught what? What'd they catch? <laughs> Nothing. How many of you remember Luke 5 and the call of Jesus? The call, when Jesus called them. The calling of the first disciples. They'd been fishing all night and how much had they caught? Nothing. What did Jesus tell them? Put your nets to the other side. Throw them out in the deep. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, and I love this. And I love the words he used. It's a very specific word in, in the Greek. It actually says, it actually literally translated would be little children. But we translate it sort of friends. My, my, my little ones. My little ones. Haven't you any fish? No, they answered. We said, throw your net on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. Now, once again, I'm sure just the same thoughts that must have been going through their mind as was going through their mind when Jesus first called them. We're the fishermen. You're the carpenter. You're telling us where to put the nets? We've been out here all night long, and we've caught what? Nothing. When they did, they followed him. They were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. <laughs> wow! And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off when he's fishing. He's not having his outer garment on. He 
puts it back in, and he jumps into the water, and the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. And when they landed there, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus has got them breakfast. And he said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. And Simon Peter climbed aboard, dragged the net ashore. It was so full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he had raised from the dead. Now here's some key pieces I want you to see in this story because it sets us up for what's coming in just a moment. We're almost there. We're setting up for what's coming. But listen carefully. Look at what, get the scene in your mind. The disciples are there. They've got a net full of fish. What happened in Luke 5 with the net when it was so full of fish? It began to break. But here, post-resurrection, now there's all kinds of interplay between the scenes that I read earlier and what's happening here. This net, even though so full of fish, to overflowing, it doesn't break. How many fish were there in that net? Somebody tell me. 153. Now there's lots of different ways that people have... um, have have, have interpreted that, but one of the common things, this is the honest truth, one of the common things is people believe a couple things. This was, that was all the known type of fish there were in the world at that time. It was 153. That's all they knew about. It happened to be also the number of different kinds of people groups that there were in the world. So I think John here is giving us an indication that this net, which is so full but doesn't break, is going to be able to carry all the fish in the world. When Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men, he meant of all men. All men. And then they come and catch this. This is vitally important to what comes next. Jesus has got a fire there, but it's a very particular kind of fire. Now, if you're at the beach... A lot of times you would think you would just find the driftwood and build a fire of driftwood. Jesus didn't do that. He brought the Kingsford charcoal with him. And he made a charcoal fire there. Why? Because the only other time, the only other time that that the word for a charcoal fire is used is when... Peter is there at the courtyard and the girl is there and they've built a fire to warm themselves. That was a charcoal fire. And how many of you know a charcoal fire smells different than a wood fire? A charcoal fire smells different than a wood fire. And so as soon as that smell of the charcoal fire hit Peter's nostrils and how many of you know you may or may not know this smell is the most important sensory organ for memory smells is the most important thing about memory and so as soon as he smells that fire he's like oh boy here we go here we go so let's go to the rest of the story when they had finished eating Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, what did he look at when he said that? What did Jesus look at? I don't know. Do you think he looked at the other disciples and said, do you remember when you said, even if all fall away? Do you truly love me more than all of these guys do? Maybe he looked at the boat and the nets and said, Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Your livelihood, the things that are so important to you? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Then Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care 
of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? But he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus replied, feed my sheep. Isn't that beautiful? How many times did Simon Peter deny Jesus in that courtyard? And how many times does Jesus ask him the question, do you love me? Jesus is lovingly taking and reorienting Peter's life. And from that moment on, Peter was transformed. This is the Peter who on Pentecost Sunday stood before crowds and preached and 3,000 were saved. This was the Peter who went and received the call from Cornelius and went to the Gentiles and began the movement for the gospel outside of its Jewish subculture and into the Gentile world. This is the Peter who wrote to a suffering church in First and Second Peter and spoke to them and reminded them of the truths of who God is. This is the Peter who multiplied maturity out into the world around him. So in our remaining moments, I'm going to bring you to a scripture that God has put in my heart for the last three and a half months, four months, and I've been sharing with our leadership team here, and I'm just going to very quickly come through and walk this, because what I want to do is talk about principles and then practice related to multiplying ministry. First of all, we're going to look at two principles that Peter needed to have reaffirmed in him, and then we're going to look at a practice to walk that out. First principle is this. If you are going to multiply maturity, you need to know who you are. If you don't know who you are, you will never know what to do. If you don't know who you are, you will never walk fully into maturity and certainly into multiplying maturity. So what does the Apostle Paul tell us about who we are? He says, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Say, I am God's child. What? What are you? So if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. We are God's children, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. We have received a new identity, no longer slaves to fear of sin and death. Hallelujah! We're free. We have a new identity. We have a new destiny. And we need to know what that destiny is. And Ephesians 2, which we studied earlier this year, reminds us again, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ. Isn't this incredible? This Resurrection Sunday, not only was Christ arose, but we have been raised with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We are God's display. We're his, he gets out his wallet, and he's got an infinitely big picture list, and he opens up his wallet, and he shows the pictures, and he says, these are my kids, these are the expressions of my grace. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. We are God's masterpiece. Say, I am God's masterpiece. (laughs) Say it again. I am God's masterpiece. Here it is. One, One, two, three, again. I am God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's your destiny. You're a masterpiece created by God to do good works. We're his master. Created. This is it. This is your destiny. This is what he's called you to do. Whatever your occupation, whatever your station in life, whatever your education, whatever your nationality, whatever heart language you speak in, whatever clothes you wear, whatever, how much money is in your bank account, whatever all of that is secondary and 
tertiary and beyond that somewhere to the reality that you are a masterpiece of God created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That's who you are. You're a masterpiece. Do you know your destiny? Do you know your identity? Peter needed to know that. Peter needed to be reminded of who he was, that he is loved by God and that he has a purpose and a destiny and a call. And the practice that I want to invite you in today as we close this series of multiplying maturity is the practice of servant leadership, which is what Peter, all of this story was about Peter growing in maturity and now in John 21 becomes the launching pad for him. When Jesus said, feed my sheep, care for my lambs, feed my sheep, he was giving him a job description. He was giving him something that he was to practice for the rest of his life. And Peter became a model example even to us of um, servant leadership. Now the scripture that I've been reflecting on the last four months is Isaiah chapter 40 verse 11. Look at it carefully. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart and gently leads those that have young. So here's what multiplying maturity, I'm giving you a job description. I'm giving you something to take away today on this Resurrection Sunday. I would like you to reflect deeply on these things as God calls each and every one of us because you say, well, I'm not a leader. I don't have to worry about this. You are influencing someone in your life. Therefore, you're a leader. Because leadership is simply influence. So who am I influence? I want you to be thinking about these four words. First of all, I want you to be thinking about tending 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 in john 10 in the scripture a little further on from what we started with in john 10 10 jesus says i'm the good shepherd i know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and i know the father and i lay down my life for the sheep jesus knows the sheep and as the good shepherd he tends the sheep and brings them into the pasture that they need for their growth and development and maturity so my question to you today is, do you truly know those around you? Do you know what they need? And are you willing to sacrifice for them? If you're a parent, do you know your children? I mean, really know them. Do you know the way God's created them and how he's aiming them and the point, the trajectory of their life? Do you know them? And are you, are you, do you know what they need and are you willing to sacrifice for them? How about for your coworker? How about for that student? How about for the person that drives you crazy? Do you know them and are you willing to sacrifice for them? Tending. Secondly, we're called to gathering. We're called to gathering. I love this. This is the scripture that is right up here, called to be a house of prayer for all nations. Foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants. All who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and hold fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Listen to this. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others besides those already gathered. What does gather mean? Gather means to assemble from scattered places. So the question I have for you today is, who around us needs to be assembled from scattered places? How can we help them fit, function, and flourish? If some people around you are lost, if your neighbors are lost, if your coworkers are lost, what it means is, lost means I'm out of place. And you have the opportunity in servant leadership to gather them and help them rediscover who their true identity is and what their true destiny is. And you have the opportunity to call them into their place. So that they can come become all God intended them to be. This is our call. To gather. To carry. We're called to carry. Galatians chapter 6. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourself as you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry his own load. So we're called to carry one another's load until the time where those who are around us can carry their own load. 
So my question to you this morning is this. Who around you needs to be strengthened and supported? How can we help carry them? Here's the picture. Let me just give you the picture. We're almost there. Hang with me just a couple more minutes. The picture is this. When a sheep gets cast, it means that they've fallen on their back and their wool is so heavy that they can't get back on their feet. And they're laying there and they're vulnerable to any predator that would come along. There's no way they can run. And their stomach begins to bloat because there's no way that they can even uh, process the food that they've been eating. There's nothing. They're completely helpless. And the shepherd comes along and he lifts them into his arms and he begins to massage their legs because all of the blood has gone out of their legs and they can't even stand anymore. And the shepherd comes along and cares for them and carries them and massages their legs and puts them back on their feet so that they can run again. That's what we do to folks around us who are hurting. We carry them until they can carry themselves. This is part of servant leadership. This is part of your call. The, the coworker who's hurting, the student around you who's depressed and despairing, who's cutting, who's suicidal, those folks that are in such desperate need, the people who are broken, who need provision, who need help, who can't find a way themselves, we come alongside and we carry. And we lead. We lead. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'm going to fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A servant leader is one who leads. Are we experiencing Are we experiencing abundant and everlasting life? And are we multiplying that life out into others? Are we helping others to find those paths of righteousness, to be guided to the still waters, to be refreshed, to be renewed, to be restored, even as Peter was restored? And this is the beauty, because Jesus had said, when you have turned back to me, go back and strengthen your brothers. And Peter became the one, one of the ones who stood and carried and gathered and tended and led others back to Jesus. That's your and my call today. This is what we're called to. This is what multiplying ministry looks like. This is the practice I invite you in today. Worship team, come on up. One last scripture. These are Peter's words now in 2 Peter. I'm going to ask you to read them with me. Because this is Peter writing to a church that was suffering, to a church in need, to a church that was going through great distress and difficulty. And Jesus says this. Peter says this, I'm sorry. Let's read it together. So... I will always remind you of these things, even though you know and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus has has made it clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. So today I stand before you. I am certainly not the Apostle Peter. But I stand in that same tradition to remind you today of these things. To remind you that it's not all about you. To remind you that it is about what you leave behind and the legacy that you have. To remind you of who you are, that you are God's children, his friends, his little ones whom he loves. That you have a a destiny because you are God's masterpieces. And that God invites you as part of growing up as part of becoming all that God wants you to be, as part of multiplying maturity, it is God's desire and intention that you 
multiply his life through you to those around you. I have come to bring you life and life to the full, and full life is so full, and I don't have enough water in here to do it, but you know the deal. When your life is so full, it begins to spill out with his life, right? That's what he wants to do. He wants to spill his life out through you. So full that it's overflowing. It says in scripture, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. So today on this Resurrection Sunday, there's no greater joy and opportunity than we have to release his life into a world that's dead and dying, that needs him desperately. Stand to your feet, please. Go on with the program, please. I think we'll be done. Hallelujah. All right. Could you just open your hands this morning? Lord Jesus, at the close of this particular moment of this day, this Resurrection Sunday, Lord, we want to pause once again to say how grateful we are for your life in and through us. And Lord, today we receive that life. And Lord, if there's any here who've never received that life that you bring, I pray that today, the scripture says, the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Today, open your heart and receive him. And if you've received him, today is the day to continue growing up into the full maturity that he has for you. Today is today to lift up your vision and look further. You haven't come to the end of the story yet. You feel stuck. The Lord says to you, I'm going to unstick you today. I'm going to release you deeper into your calling and destiny because I love you and I am working right now in you to fulfill my purposes. And I will do what I have said I will do because I am not a man that I should lie. God is unchanging in his relentless love for his people. So receive him today. Hallelujah. Can you open your hands as we close? Receive the benediction today. And now I pray that you might be filled afresh with the immeasurable love of God the Father. With the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son. With the inexhaustible strength and power comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours as you go from this house to yours sent to make disciples of all nations go with the banner of his favor over your lives and until we gather again either in this house or in our eternal home I pray that his love and goodness and mercy will chase you down every day of your life for his glory, I bless you, people of God, in Jesus' name. Amen.